highly esteemed. And so today I'm going to do a topical teaching on marriage. We're going to launch from that verse and talk about God's design, honoring God's design for marriage. Amen? Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 4. Let me pray and we'll dig in. Father, as we open the scripture, as we think about this beautiful design that you've created and made for man and woman to enjoy and flourish in this world, we pray that we would recognize and embrace your good design and that we would be those who honor the marriage covenant and honor you and that we would display your beauty and goodness through that. I pray for singles, that you would encourage them and speak to them. And we, I pray that you would shape our view of marriage through the scriptures today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Honoring God's design for marriage. You know, it's important to, to recognize what a thing is de- purposed and designed for. To use it properly. My children have a tendency of finding things in the home and using them in ways that they weren't designed to be used. For an example, we have a hammock and I put this hammock out back next to the trampoline between two trees. And my children use the hammock, try to use the hammock as as a trampoline and, and play and jump in it and twist around. And I explain to them The hammock is for sitting, for relaxing, for laying down, not jumping up and down. There's a nice trampoline right next to that hammock that you can use for jumping around and wrestling and flipping and all that stuff you want to do. But if you use a hammock for that, it's going to break and you're going to get hurt. And sure enough, what happens? Somebody gets hurt. My little girl, Abigail, falls, busts her knee, uh, misusing something, uh, repurposing something for the wrong reason. Now... I'm, I'm all for repurposing certain things for, you know, that, that are like trash that people throw away like this wood, for example. This is repurposed wood that somebody, this was old fence that somebody was throwing away. And I got this idea, man, we should just use this for some background, stain it. And Michael Kirshner helped me out and we got this stain, we got it put together here. And so this is repurposed wood. Okay, originally it was designed to be fence. Okay, and now it's, it's wall background wall, right? And that's great. And, and we can do that with certain things. We can repurpose certain objects and certain things. But when it comes to marriage, we don't have the freedom to repurpose and redefine or design marriage. God, the creator, had an idea, a good idea, a beautiful idea from the beginning. This beautiful concept of a man and a woman being in covenant relationship together for for life and having children and those children growing up and flourishing see god had this beautiful idea but what what many have done in our society is, is they've taken god's idea and they've distorted it to their own harm okay And so today we're going to talk about honoring marriage as God's design, as as God designed it to be recognized, embraced, and seen 
and, and, and functioning within. In Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews says this. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and, and adulterous. adulterous. Hebrews 13, 4. So here's our big idea. Our big idea is simply this. God's design for marriage is good and beautiful, and we are called to honor it by treating it as such. God's design for marriage is good and beautiful, and we are called to honor it by treating it as such. Amen? So let's start, first of all, by acknowledging or, or recognizing what is marriage. We need to define it because we live in a culture in a day where, where people try to redefine what marriage is and they try to redesign it according to their own perspective or their own desires. Here, here's a great biblical definition of marriage that Sam Storms um, pulled from Genesis. Marriage is the enjoyment of of spiritual and physical union between one man and one woman based on a lifelong covenant commitment, the ultimate aim of which is to display the covenant relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. I think that's a wonderful biblical definition of what marriage is. Marriage is the enjoyment of spiritual and physical unity. Between one man and one woman, based on a lifelong covenant commitment, the ultimate aim of which is to display the covenant relationship between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. So it was God's idea from the beginning, after creating Adam, to create Eve. God saw that it was not good for man to be alone, so God decided that he would create a helper fit, suitable for Adam. So that there would be companionship and that there would be partnership together in the work that God had designated for Adam and for Eve. Alright? And so it was God's idea and God initiated the very first marriage from, from the beginning. God brought Eve to Adam. He formed Eve. He took the, from the rib of Adam, put him asleep, took from his rib and formed Eve. And brought him to Adam. Okay? So the purest, holiest mind in the universe had this idea of marriage. This design for marriage. So here in this, in this verse, in verse 4, the author is calling Christians to honor that design. To honor marriage. And that word honor is timios. And it can mean, it's translated either as great like something precious or something highly esteemed especially dear or held in honor okay and and so we are to treat marriage with high esteem and we are to see it as something precious and valuable and good and beautiful for for what it is okay so we're called to honor marriage and so i think it helps us to, to do so by knowing what mar what biblical marriage is, all right, and knowing the purpose and the design behind it. The first thing I'd point out is that God designed marriage to be a picture of Christ in the church. Here's the 
ultimate purpose and meaning and design for marriage, that marriage would reflect the glory of Christ in, in, in his relationship with, with the church. The Apostle Paul taps into this in, in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of the body, of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Okay? So, so here's, here's a beautiful picture of Christ. Christ's faithful, steadfast love and commitment to his people. Him sacrificially laying down his life for his people, the church. As That is the basis, the example that husbands are called to follow. Husbands are called to love, love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now that's much easier said than done. And wives... In, in verse 22, are called to, uh, to submit to the leadership of their husbands. And there's to be this mutual love and respect within the marriage covenant. Okay? And so ultimately, marriage is designed to reflect, to be a picture of Christ in the church. John Piper points this out in his book, Momentary Marriage. He says, the meaning of marriage is the display of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his people. The meaning of marriage is the display of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his people. Paul calls it a mystery. And some married, many married couples feel like it's a great mystery. A great mystery to understand their spouses and how to make marriage work. Right? Amen? Yeah? Is that true? Paul calls it a mystery in the sense that it's pointing to something greater than what you see on the surface. The husband and the wife are, as Piper calls it, a parable of permanence. You see, in heaven, there, there's, this, there's this marriage feast that we're looking forward to that the Bible tells about, I believe, in Revelation chapter 19. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Right? Where, where there's, there's this joyful celebration in every wedding that you go to. And you, where you, when you celebrate a, a husband and a wife coming together in covenant marriage, every wedding is designed to point us to that ultimate marriage wedding day that's coming between Christ and the church. You know, I think it's interesting, too, that Jesus, his very first miracle, by the way, was done at a wedding. He turned water into wine. Jesus honored marriage by performing the very first, his very first miracle, displaying his glory, John 2 says, by doing this miracle of turning water into wine. Marriage is God's design. It's good and it's beautiful, and we should honor it as such. When Jesus was asked by Pharisees, they came to him and they tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, 
Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Amen. So God has designed marriage to be a lifelong partnership and commitment between a husband and a wife. Okay? It's not something that should be treated as disposable or, or um, uh, something that you could just walk away from. When you step into marriage covenant, God designed it to be a lifelong commitment and partnership. And yeah, there's a lot of bumps on the road, on the journey. There's a lot, of, a lot of trials, a lot of problems. Um, if you've been married for any amount of time past your honeymoon, you know that there are problems in marriage, that problems come uh, within the marriage covenant. God's designed it to be not only a picture of Christ in the church, but a lifelong partnership and commitment between a husband and a wife. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, Again, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So you see, this is, this is a covenant, of a, a, a lifelong partnership and commitment between a husband and wife in which intimacy is experienced. Where there's, there's relationship, where, where a husband and a wife know one another. They're known and they're, they know and they're known by one another. Okay? Um, it's also a, a, a lifelong partnership and commitment in which productivity occurs. And many couples struggle to find that balance between the intimacy and the productivity, right? Um, in which productivity occurs. Notice that God says, he says, I will make a helper fit for him. I will make a helper fit for him. That, there's, there's work to be done, there's, and, which is implied in that. He needs help. He got all these animals to name, to come up with names for, right? He needs some help, you know? There's a garden to tend. There's work to be done. And husbands and wives are a team. They're in it together, working together. God's a, give, given uh, a calling and, and purpose and, and work to be done, ministry to be done in this life. Tim Keller says this, and this is one of my favorite quotes, um, in the context of marriage, in his book, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, he says, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense it humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Amen? And so there's intimacy experienced within the marriage covenant where, where you let down the guards and you allow yourself to be known and accepted for who you are within that covenant. And it's based on grace. We receive one another Based on God's grace towards us. God's, God has received us. He's been gracious towards us. 
And we come to him with our brokenness and our flaws and our failures. And by his grace, he forgives us, he receives us, he brings us in. And we are, and, and husbands and wives are to treat one another with that same grace. They are to be conduits of the grace of God and the love of God and, and the, the kindness of God within the marriage covenant. So there's intimacy experience. <clears throat> Ray Ortland, speaking of sexual intimacy, says this, that sex is like a fire in the fireplace. It keeps us warm. Outside of the fireplace, it burns the house down. Here's the message of the Bible. Keep the fire within the marital fireplace and stoke that fire as hot as you can. I like that. All the married couples said amen. Amen. I'm trying to keep this PG for, for any children watching or listening. But keep the fire within the fireplace. God designed the marriage relationship and he knows what's best. He knows how life works best. And when we reject the creator's design for our lives, we get ourselves in trouble. We find ourselves getting hurt, broken, disillusioned, and hurting others as well. So God not only designed marriage to be a picture of Christ in the church, not only to be a partnership and commitment, a lifelong partnership and commitment, but he's designed marriage to populate the earth. And all the, the, the big families here say, Amen. All right, I think we got this one down in many ways here at City Church, right? We're, uh, Genesis 1.28, he says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. You see, God's idea is that through the marriage covenant between a man and a woman, that there would be children that come forth from that intimacy, from that union, and, and, and they would be that they, there would be more image bearers on the earth reflecting his glory on the earth. And when children are brought up in a loving home but where there's a husband, where there's a dad and there's a mom that love each other. And respect each other. They provide the soil for children to flourish in. They provide the atmosphere for children to do the very best and reach their potential in life. When mom and dad are faithful to God and to one another. Loving and respectful to one another. They provide the soil for children to flourish in. And this is God's design for marriage from the beginning. God God blessed them. He told them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, I know that many have experienced, many couples have experienced the pain of not being able to have children. Okay? And I want to be sensitive to that here. And, and, I, and, I, and I would say this, there, there are some other options, like adoption, which is a beautiful option. And it's a gospel thing. But, but there's also the aspect of couples being able to mentor and disciple other younger couples as well, okay? So you can be fruitful and multiply in that sense, in how Jesus told his followers to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you always, right? So you can be fruitful and multiply in that sense. And, And let me just say this about children. I think children are some of the best disciples that we'll ever have. 
You know, they, they come pliable and teachable. You get to start, you know, at a young age, you know, and, and you get to be, a, be instruments of God to help shape them into what God has for them, who God has for them to be. And so God's designed marriage to be a picture of Christ in the church, to reflect his glory in the earth, to be a, uh, a partnership and lifelong commitment and partnership between a, a man and a woman, and he's designed it to populate through it, to populate the earth. These are important aspects of God's design. Now, I want to speak momentarily here to the problems within marriage. Because over the last 40 or 50 years, we've seen divorce rates go up. And marriage just seems like it's under attack more now than ever. With, with marriages falling apart and with people trying to redefine even what marriage is. Okay? And so there's problems in marriages. There were problems with the very first marriage. Okay? There were problems in the very first marriage. Just think about Adam and Eve for a second. They had... Spiritual problems, okay? Eve was listening to a talking snake, Satan. She had some spiritual problems, all right? And she was deceived by this snake, Satan, working through this serpent, right? There were relational problems within the first marriage. After they sinned, they were blaming. There, there was this blame game. There was shame. There was fear. There was insecurity at one time when there was no shame. When they were open and bare before one another, there was no shame at all. All of a sudden, there's this breakdown and this divide where there's shame, there's guilt, there's fear. They had, pro they had work problems. Okay, After they sinned, work became really difficult. God, God said uh, to, to Adam, you're going to have to work and toil and labor. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard, right? And then to Eve, uh, you're going to have pain and childbearing. They had financial problems, arguably, you could say. They didn't have any clothes. They needed some clothes. All right, now God showed up and provided some clothes for them. He clothed them. Uh, and they had family problems. They're... they're um, there was a death. There was, Cain killed his brother Abel. Okay? And so the very first marriage experienced problems. And, and the, the heart and the root of those problems is sin. Rebellion against God and self-centeredness and pride. Right? And those will eat at marriage relationships like cancer. When someone rejects God's design for the marriage covenant, when, when somebody makes, makes their marriage relationship all about them and making serving themselves rather than having the mindset to serve their spouse, it will eat away at that marriage. Again, another great quote from Tim Keller says this, <clears throat> In any relationship there will be frightening spells in which your feelings of love dry up. And when that happens, you must remember that the essence of marriage, that the essence, the, the essence of marriage is that it is a covenant commitment, a promise of future love. So what do you do? You do acts of love despite your lack of feeling. You may not feel tender, sympathetic, and eager to please, but in your actions you must be tender, understanding, and forgiving and helpful. And if you do that, as time goes on, 
you will not only get through the dry spells, but they will become less frequent and deep, and you will become more constant in your feelings. This is what will ha this is what can happen if you decide to love. Now, <clears throat> I'm just I'm curious here. How many people who's who's been married here longer than 30, 20 years? Okay, twenty five years, thirty years. How many years? 33. Woo! 33 years old! Amen. Will you guys stand up for a second? I just want to honor you guys. That's awesome. Ricardo and Margarita. 33 years old. I mean, 33 years. Were y'all like 12 when you got married? <laughs> 33 years of marriage. Wow. How, Steve, how about you? 25. 25. Wow. Praise God. That's honorable. That's honorable and rare in our day to see marriages last that long. Have you guys had some dry spells, some problems, some difficult times throughout that 33 or 25 years? Yeah, it happens. It happens. You just have to get past the honeymoon you'll experience, or many people on the honeymoon, you experience problems in marriage. Problems are going to come. And here's the good news. Here's some of the good news. There is power for the marriage relationship provided through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, there's power to love provided because through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God has displayed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ treated us better than we deserve. He treated us with grace. And you see, this is key. For any marriage relationship to flourish. This is key for any relationship to flourish. Is to treat one another with love and grace like God has treated us. And to do that, we first have to receive that love and that grace from God. Right? If I don't have $50 in my bank account, I can't give it away. Or in my pocket, I don't have it to give. But when we've received love from God, His love for us. While we feel unworthy, while we've done things that were against his will, he meets us in our place of brokenness and sinfulness. He came to us and he served us by laying his life down for us, as Brian spoke about, in communion. And that changes us from the inside out and empowers us. That's why the Apostle Paul says, if anyone, in, in Colossians 3.13, if anyone has a complaint towards one another... Uh, you must forgive, forgive, uh, forbear and forgive uh, one another. Bear with, be patient and be forgiving of one another as Christ has forgiven you. And so if, if you're at a stalemate in your marriage right now, watching online or somebody here, just think about how Christ has treated you. And let that amazing grace and love of God just humble you. And, and, and flow to you and through you so your spouse can experience the benefit. So we not only have the gospel as an empowerment for us, for our marriage relationships, but we also have the power of the Holy Spirit. Those who have believed the gospel, received Jesus Christ as their Lord, they get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God inside them. And the Holy Spirit produces fruit such as love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Who doesn't want to be around a person who's marked by those characteristics? That fruit that's sweet. Like we love good, sweet fruit, right? And when you got the fruit of the Spirit coming through a person's life, you want to be around them. You, 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 you enjoy their presence. And the Spirit of God empowers that kind of fruit in our lives so that marriages can flourish, so that relationships can flourish. This is God's design for relationships. Amen? Amen. And so it's interesting, in the book of Ephesians, before the Apostle Paul gives these instructions to husbands and wives, for wives to submit to their husbands, for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, before he gives those instructions, he commands them, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is key. This is where husbands and wives find the power of God to love their spouses well through sickness and health, through, through uh, trials and, and, uh, and, and until death do them part. Okay? This is where the power comes from, from the Holy Spirit. It's interesting also to note that in, in, on the other side of those relational commands that the Apostle Paul gives for the Ephesian church, it, he, he talks about spiritual warfare. He goes right into spiritual warfare. And, and I, I would point out that, that God, well, that the enemy attacks those relationships. Satan is against marriage relationships because they are designed to be a picture of God's glory. But between the, the Christ and the church, the relationship between Christ and the church. And so, yeah, there's problems in marriage. There's, there's hard times. It's difficult. It's, it's not always easy, but it's worth it. And God provides the resources that couples need to make it through and to flourish within the marriage covenant. There's power for marriage. Uh, for, for husbands and wives. And there's also one of the reasons why the, the author of Hebrews says to honor marriage and, and keep the, the marriage bed undefiled is because God says he will judge the sexually moral and adulterous. He will, he will punish those who continually practice sexual immorality. The, the word there for sexual immor, immor, immoral is the word pornos, the Greek word pornos, okay? Uh, sound familiar? And it describes somebody who has a relation, sexual relations outside of a marriage covenant between a man and a woman, right? And so God says that, that there will be punishment for those who practice this. And this isn't fun for me to talk about. This is actually kind of hard and challenging. And I know it may come across as harsh, but this is God's word. And we got to be those who are willing to embrace God's design and God's word concerning this. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, but the sexual, but sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are all out of which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually moral or impure or who had or who is covetous, that is an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. These are strong words. I think we can just let them say what they say, and I think we must be willing to examine what, what does this mean? What does God think about my choices and how I, I choose to, to live my life and how those who choose to live their life in this particular area? Paul, in addressing the Corinthian church, this was a church that had a lot of issues, okay? And he spent a lot of time addressing the brokenness within this church. Now, he called them saints, which means holy ones, okay? Ones who were set apart and holy. But, but, but their actions weren't reflecting holiness in many ways. And so he called them out on it. There were some really unholy things and some unloving things that they were doing. They, these guys were, they, they saw themselves as, as very spiritual people who were operating in spiritual gifts. Okay, they were charismatic, but they were lacking character, the character particularly of love and holiness. And so the Apostle Paul spent time helping them get on track, getting them gospel-centered, helping them major on love, major on holiness, and not major on the spiritual gifts that they had abused within the church. And he explained to them how to, to handle those properly. But in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, 9 and 11, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually moral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? Some people are deceived thinking that it's okay for them to practice these lifestyles mentioned here, thinking that they're going to be all right because God is love, and they're going to be all right in the end. But don't be deceived. As Paul said in chapter 5 of Ephesians, For the, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Some people just don't know, or do you not know? Some people are just ignorant of what the Bible says about this particular area in their lives, and they just need to be informed with the truth. And let the truth set them free. Set them free from ignorance and deception. Okay? And he says, no one who practices these lifestyles. And he doesn't just single out one. He mentions, he doesn't just single out homosexuality. He mentions a, a, adultery and, and idolaters and, and thieves and greedy people. But notice verse 11. Here's good news. I, I appreciate good news within to really appreciate the good news, the gospel of grace, you've got to understand the bad news of our brokenness and sinfulness. It doesn't make sense for the doctor, when you go to the doctor, the, for him to just give you a prescription and say, hey, take this, you'll feel better. Well, what's wrong with me, doc? Like, diagnose me first. Do I have the virus or not? Right? Do I need to take this hydro whatever, chlorine or whatever, or whatever you guys take for that, or anybody takes for that. Um, this this uh, steroid, you know, do diagnose me for, and God has diagnosed humanity with this sickness that we call sin. All of humanity, all of sin, and have fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark for God's design for our lives relationally, 
between our relationship with God and between our relationship with others. We're flawed, we're broken, yet we're loved. And through Christ, through the grace of Jesus Christ, we're accepted, we're redeemed. And he said in verse 11, and such were some of you. That's who you used to be. You, but you were washed. You're clean now. You were sanctified. You're set apart and made holy now. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is what has happened to you Corinthians, now live like it. Remember what Christ has done. Remember what he's brought you out of and who he's made you. He's changed you and he is changing you. Okay, salvation, uh, theologians describe salvation in three different parts, three different aspects. One, justification. When we come to God and before God, we, we repent, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1, and we're justified freely by faith. God says, you're... you're you're justified. You're, you're righteous based on Christ's righteousness and you or I putting our faith in him. But then there's this other aspect of sanctification where we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. For God works in us to will and to do his good pleasure. And we're becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's a process. It's a journey. And, and we fall and, and, and when we get back up. Christians get back up. They fall, but they get back up. And Christians need to be reminded, this is who you used to be, but this isn't who you were made to be. Okay? You're, 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 you're made to live in righteousness and holiness and love and godliness. And by the power of the Spirit, you can do that. And so here at City Church, we believe God's design for marriage. And we want to graciously... Um, we want to graciously call people to repent, those who've distorted that design and misused and abused that. And we want to offer the hope of the gospel of grace for those who've blown it in this area. Because we've all sinned. And I'm not trying to cast any stones here this morning. Right? I need the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ just as much as anybody else. Jesus said, let him who's without sin cast the first stone, right? In John 8. And so there's grace available if you've, if you've blown it in this area of your life and you're watching today or here listening today and you feel guilty and you feel ashamed. Know that there's redemption through Christ. There's freedom through Christ. And just because you have um, these, these desires and this attraction and this pull towards immorality, you don't have to give into it. You don't have to act upon it. I think it's important for, for people, particularly when it comes to same-sex attraction, homosexuality, it's important for people to realize that, um, that many, many people struggle with same-sex attraction and they're ashamed that, that they struggle with it. And it's important that that not be acted upon. You see, we all have a tendency and a temptation towards sin and, and, and various types of temptations and sins. But we, we must not act on it, okay? We must submit those things to God. Uh, God always provides a way of escape. He's faithful to do that. And when a, a Christian, a brother or sister, falls in these, one of these areas of immorality, God says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us 
of all unrighteousness. So there's hope. There's hope for those who are coming out of this lifestyle. And I used to be one of these guys, one of these fornicators who was practicing this lifestyle. And God changed my heart. He changed my life. Here's a quote that I think is excellent in specifically speaking to homosexuality. Um, God's judgment on homosexual and lesbian relationships is not because he is a killjoy, but because he is opposed to what kills joy. And our opposition to such partnerships is not because of some knee-jerk homophobia, as they say again and again, but because of a settled and reasonable conviction that God knows better than anybody what is good for us and for society. So we embrace, we recognize, and we embrace God's design for marriage. And that's how, where I want to point us here this morning in application. Recognize and embrace God's design for marriage. Here's some ways that we can honor marriage. Recognize and embrace God's design for marriage. It's good, it's beautiful, and it's pure. You know, throughout history, there have been people who abstained from marriage and even have forbid others to marry, get married. Um, false teachers and false prophets who uh, practiced asceticism, and they see, saw themselves as so spiritual and so holy that they wouldn't engage in marriage and forbid others to do so. And Paul in 1 Timothy 4 calls uh, that a doctrine of uh, demons. Right? It's, it's, it's not good. To forbid people to get married, right? A, husband, a, a man and a woman, right, of course. Um, and, and so marriage is designed to be a gift. It's a gift from God to be received and enjoyed and celebrated between a man and a woman. But you keep the fire in the fireplace. You don't let it get loose and tear everything up, right? God has he's given us guardrails. He's given us boundaries that will help us not harm ourselves and harm others. And so we recognize and we embrace God's design for marriage. We reject distorted views of marriage, such as so-called same-sex marriage. Okay, We don't see um, a man and a man and a woman and a woman together in a partnership, intimate partnership, as, as a biblical marriage. Biblical marriage is between a man and a woman. It's a lifelong commitment, covenant, and then resolve faithfully to fulfill your covenant vows made before God by His grace. Those of you who are married, resolve to fulfill your obligations, your responsibilities with joy, with delight, with the power of the Spirit, with God enabling you. Marriage is, is one of the most sanctifying relationships. The marriage relationship is one of the most sanctifying relationships you'll ever experience. Aside from children, your parents and children, <laughs> it seems like that you just take it up to another level when you, get, when you add children into the mix. God works through family to sanctify us, to shape us into Christ-likeness. And my wife and I have had the privilege of um, coaching several couples through pre-marriage, uh, a pre-marriage season in their life. It's one of the, the, the joys that we've gotten to do many times um, and one of the things that we've said to many couples is that in this, uh, when, when, you, when, when somebody gets married, you got two, two sinners 
bringing you know all bringing all their uh, their perspective, their struggles, their weaknesses, their flaws, their sins to the table, and and there is this sanctifying process that happens through that relationship because you're closer to that person than you are anybody else. They come in proximity closer than anybody else, right? And so God uses them as a tool to shape us. And and, and the more we cooperate with the Holy Spirit in the sanctifying process, the smoother the marriage relationship is going to flow, right? And that's one of the things we've emphasized is that you have to you have to cooperate with the Spirit as He's working on hearts. Um, and lastly, <clears throat> uh, reinforce marriage uh, marriages with encouragement and accountability. So if you're married or single, you can do this. You can encourage other married couples who are struggling in their marriage to not give up, to, to, uh, to fulfill, to do what, what God says husbands ought to do and what wives ought to do as heirs together of the grace of life, okay? I encourage marriages to stick together and hold, hold people, friends accountable who, who are walking it out, okay? Um, reinforce, we can honor marriage in these ways, by recognizing and embracing God's design for marriage, reject distorted views of marriage, resolve to faithfully fulfill your covenant, and reinforce marriages with encouragement and accountability. Now let me just close with a, a word of encouragement to singles. Uh, I don't want you to feel singled out, pun intended, as a, as a single person, right? So the scripture says it's not good for man to be alone, right? And so God made a solution there. Um, but but the, the reality is for, for singles is marriage isn't the only way for you to get your relational needs met. For community, God's designed us as relational beings. We need people. Okay, God's a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We need relationships. That's one of the reasons why this quarantine pandemic has been so hard because our relationships have been spread out. It's been harder to get that that deep connection with others. Okay, so God's provided for relationship through the family unit. You got families, right? You got parents, and you got brothers and sisters. You got uh, cousins, you got, and you not only got your, your physical family, your birth family, but you got your spiritual family, community, where you can walk together and encourage one another, and so you don't have to live in isolation, disconnected from community, just because you're not married. You can have community. Now, this scripture in Hebrews 13:4 commands us to honor marriage to highly esteem it, to count it as something valuable and precious. But it doesn't teach us to idolize it. All right? And so I want to say to singles, beware of of idolizing marriage as if it's going to be your your salvation, as if it's going to be that thing that that gives you the ultimate fulfillment. Because my wife and I tell couples who are getting ready for marriage, if you come in with that mindset that she's going to make me happier, he's going to make me happy, and you both come in like a vacuum and you're trying, you're looking for that person to make you happy, and nobody's happy. You're both disappointed and disillusioned. Like, why are we happy? Well, God didn't design it to for, for couples to be selfish and, and trying to meet their own needs. God's designed us to come in with this mindset to serve. 
to love and serve one another in that relationship. And, and that's where there's greatest fulfillment and greatest joy in the marriage covenant. When we follow God's design, marriage is good and beautiful and pure, and we want to honor it here. And singles, um, just want to encourage you to, uh, one of the things I did too as a single person, as I desired to get married strongly for many years as a single person, I, I made, when, when I felt that desire rising up in me, I tried to channel that to delighting myself in the Lord and letting it be a reminder that there's this great wedding day that's coming that I'm looking forward to, that I want to be prepared for and ready for when that time comes. Amen? And so I'm going to close there. I've been talking for a while. Um, if anybody would like... Um, talk after the service about this or would like prayer um, for for you as a single or a married couple we'd love to, to pray for you guys I know marriages are under attack and we want to reinforce and strengthen and encourage those who are walking through difficult times and are struggling to see it as God sees it are struggling to to, to live holy in a time of singleness or live holy within a marriage covenant. So, Father, please move us on to your agenda when it comes to this issue. Give us your perspective and your wisdom. May we move with grace and truth. Speak with grace and with truth and offer the hope of the gospel that in Christ there is redemption. Through Christ there is transformation. There's forgiveness and there's freedom. There's hope and there's healing. And we pray that here at City Church Garland, that marriage relationships here would be healthy and flourish and display the glory and the beauty of Christ in the church. We pray that our children would flourish among us. We pray that, that singles among us would save themselves, honor marriage by saving themselves for marriage. If you, you bring them to that place. Keep us from a self-righteous, condescending attitude towards those who are struggling and broken in this area. Give us wisdom and, and loving well and leading others to recognize and embrace your good design for the marriage covenant. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may